When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, we've got a, uh, a topic here from uh, was a suggestion from a listener. Oh, cool. Via Facebook. And uh, I know this is one that is uh, near and dear to your heart in, in some way. Oh, this, uh, if it is what I'm thinking it is. I may be. This one is from uh, Isaac Salgado uh, from our Car Stuff Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, hi, guys. Have you ever done an episode on the VW Carmen Ghia? Oh, it's such a beautiful car. I wish VW made a brand new version of this one. And we said, uh, of course, we replied, yes, it's a great suggestion. We're going to get the Carmen Ghia into our into our rotation soon. You know, something like that. We'll uh, we'll get to it. And uh, guess what, Isaac? Today is the day we've, we've gotten to it. So the wait is over. Exactly. Yeah, because uh, we both. Like Carmen Gia's, but Ben, you may have uh, a Carmen Gia in your past, right? Yeah, yeah, that that is true. It is one of the episodes that uh, Old Man Bullen, by which I mean my father, not me, has uh, has <laughs> always requested because uh, he owned a 1966 Carmen Gia. And Scott, these are beautiful cars. They really are. Isaac, you know, too. Um, listeners are familiar with this, uh, so. I think it's safe to say that you and I were both pretty pretty uh, excited to do this one. Definitely, yeah. These uh, this is a car, the Carmen Ghia, that that still to this day will catch my eye on the road. I mm. mean, they're they're around. There are a lot of them around, and, uh, and I've seen a few of them here and there. You know, even in the last week or two, um, you know, parked on the corner somewhere or just passing the other direction. They're they're everywhere. They're kind of peppered all over the place. And uh, when you do see one, I, it still turns my head. Yeah, it it almost seems at, at this point too. Uh, they're iconic, you know. They're very much mm-hmm. a statement of the time and place in which they were made. What we would like to do today is to talk a little bit about the origin of Carmagia. Mm-hmm. Um, the subtitle for this podcast would probably be Carmagia. A Tale of Three Companies, right? Oh, that's probably a good way to put that's it. That's okay. Yeah, sure. Not my best. It but, works. But then also talk about um, what makes a Carmen Ghia a Carmen Ghia, maybe a little bit about the uh, the engine and the different versions. Sure. Um, and then, you know, 
the way that we always like to do a show. Uh, we'll probably throw in some sidebars, a couple other, one more things ar- along the way. Yeah, why not? Hopefully some stuff that is new even to Carmen Ghia fans. Yeah, there's some stuff here uh, just even about the, the Carmen factory that's kind of interesting that we'll get to. I promise that. And mm-hmm. uh, and some tie-ins with other podcasts that we've done. Yeah, we found some unusual kind of, uh, t- again, tie-ins mm-hmm. that uh, that I was surprised to find out about about uh, you know a German car factory um, in the 1960s. It's kind of strange. So... Um, Promise we'll get to that stuff. Um, you want to let's do. How about this? Yes. Let's start with this. Um, just some general stats about the car, some specs. Great. And uh, and then we'll go from there. Um, and uh, after this, I want to talk about maybe why someone would want to buy a Carmen Ghia. Which um, is which is a good question, and it's it's not a snarky question. Actually, there are some there's some great reasons, especially when we consider the time. I mean, I mean, this these are yeah, this is the uh, the reason that you would want to buy one. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a better way to to, yeah. to put it. Um, but just in general, um, in general, the Volkswagen Carmen Ghia was uh, in production in Germany and in Brazil. Um, in Germany, it was produced from 1955 until about 1974. Um, in Brazil, it was in production for a shorter amount of time, from 1962 until 1975, and I believe it went through the uh, the 1976 model year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the body style kind of st- it stayed the same throughout. I mean, there's a two door convertible and coupe. Um, and we'll, we'll find out there's one variation in that in the Brazil, uh, the Brazil production in just a moment. Um, the layout, rear engine, rear wheel drive, mm-hmm. all of them were the same. Um, engines though were different. There was a 1200cc engine, a 1500, and a 1600. They were all flat four cylinder engines. Uh, they were all air cooled engines. I know mm-hmm. that's big for, uh, for Volkswagen fans. They, there's either air cooled or water cooled. And, uh, these were all air cooled engines. Right. Um, early cars, uh, they only had about 43 horsepower, but that was probably pretty, you know, pretty decent for that car because it was very lightweight, very small, very agile. Mm-hmm. Um, not ridiculously fast or anything like that, but uh, as we'll find out, they, they were good at handling. Um, the later cars, the top speed was right around 93 miles per hour, um, and that's assuming that it had the original engine, which was, a uh, again, a donor a engine. A Beetle from, engine. Yeah, from yeah. the Beetle, the, the chassis and the, the engine. We're from the Beetle, and and you know why not? That's a very successful platform to build on, right? Yeah, there's an interesting story there uh, because now this is a story you already know, Scott. But but you know, feel free to act surprised. I will. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, Volkswagen, back in the back in the fifties, right, post World War II, mm-hmm. they have cars that they want to sell to um, to the public, and they have stuff like they have Beetles, mm-hmm. right? And sure. the, the bus. Yeah, sure. And They've got the, uh, the 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 people's car, right? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. the people's car, and uh, they want to they want to sell this, uh, but there there are a couple obstacles. Um, first, we know that there's a boom in car purchases post World War II, sure. this era of prosperity, um, and then that with this boom, there these new markets emerge, and Volkswagen wants to sell. Uh, kind of a flagship car, mm-hmm. you know. They don't want their flagship car to be the bug. No, they've had it for quite a while at this point, right? So they want right. to uh, they want to dress it up a bit. Yeah, nobody wants to be a one trick pony. Mm-hmm. And uh, Volkswagen was not the only company in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. True. 
and that's where Chrysler comes in, and maybe that's where we should fix the story to be the subtitle to be a tale of four companies. Or man, you know what? If we want to include Chrysler, we need to we need to talk about several other companies. I mean, that's true. Ford gets in there. Mercedes yeah. gets in there. There's AMC gets in there. There's there's so many different companies involved with this. This is this gets to be a very interesting story, much more than I had any idea about when I started this this research. Yeah, there's a lot behind this. So here's here's what I know with uh, with Chrysler. Chrysler contacts uh, a little Italian company called Ghia, mm-hmm. and they ask they ask Ghia to help them build a Chrysler dream car. Yeah. Now this is interesting. Now b- before you go much further, and I want you to I want you to tell you. Oh, we have to do Gia and. No, no, not yet. Not okay. yet. I don't want to do that yet. But what I want to do, okay. is, uh, what I do want to say is that I bet a lot of people don't realize that Gia is actually a, is a company. It's a it's an Italian design firm. Yes. And yeah. so that's that's part of the name, right? Carmen is a is the manufacturing facility. Yes. Right. They're, they're like their own factory, which we'll talk about as well. And they're German. And they're German. And then there's Volkswagen. So the, the, the Volkswagen Carmen Ghia, we're really talking about three different companies that are coming together to create one vehicle. Which doesn't happen that often. No, it really doesn't. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, I just no, felt no. that we need to say that Ghia is its own thing, Carmen's mm-hmm. its own thing, and of course Volkswagen's its own thing. So yeah. all these are coming together. And you mentioned Chrysler has now gone to Ghia and said, we need your help. We need yeah. design help. Right. Yeah, they're premier designers. They're a very old company, too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I guess I got a little mixed up, but we'll we'll go into Gia and Carmen as well. Definitely. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where I'm doing the what had happened was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what had happened was uh, that Chrysler approached Gia. They said, you guys are awesome. Will you help us make kind of a, a, a dream car, um, a, a flagship vehicle that we can sell? And... Gia kicked around some ideas and some designs, uh, but they there was one they didn't use. So let's fast forward a little bit, because uh, while Chrysler was working with the good folks at Gia, Volkswagen made a deal with the German company, Carmen, to build their flagship car. Mm-hmm. And Carmen, as, as you mentioned, Scott, primarily manufacturing, right? Yeah. So Carmen needs... A swank new design, something that really says post World War II um, success and prosperity. So they go to Gia. Yeah, it seems like that was the place to go at the time. Now Gia is a. Uh, let's just talk about Gia. How about that? Let's, yeah, let's, let's, talk let's about knock Gia. that out, and uh, and we'll get to the Chrysler design. We'll get to the uh, the Ford designs and all that. Uh, but Gia has been around since uh, 1915. In, yes, in Turin, yeah. Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, started by. Uh, here we go, man. I apologize. That's okay. Jacinto, Jacinto Gia. I am glad you attempted that instead of me. I, you know, just a a little backstage look for everybody who listens to the show. Uh, Scott and I do try to throw pronunciation duties. Uh, you know, distribute the punishment equally. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I'm going to avoid it for this entire podcast if I can, but I think I'm going to end up at some point. Uh, flubbing some kind of pronunciation. So, so listen I've got to your that. back. So but, it uh, starts as uh, Caros, Carozeria Gia in Gariglio. <laughs> Very good, Ben. That's uh, that's close enough. Better than I could hit it. Thanks. And uh, and what it was was it's it's one of the, probably one of the most famous Italian automobile design houses. And uh, it started out as a coach building firm. And yep. they still I think they still consider themselves a coach building firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they did was they designed special lightweight bodies for. Um, well, first they started with uh, with with uh, horse carriages, right? 
as you would expect, you know, the coach, the coach Ooh. building. Um, and then they eventually went, went into automobiles as, you know, all those coach builders did at some point. In and history. they were building aluminum. Exactly. Yeah. They started building aluminum, very lightweight bodies for, uh, companies like Alfa Romeo and Fiat and Lancia. And, uh, so you'll see these cars that are, that are, um, Gia design bodies on other manufacturers' chassis. So you'll find like you'll you'll find a Gia design Fiat or a Gia mm-hmm. design Alpha. Um and of course the the Carmen cars that we're gonna talk about. Um now man, you mentioned just briefly, but there were some really notable cars that have come from the Gia uh design boards or the mm-hmm. uh, the drafting boards. And one that stands out for me, I know you're gonna mention the Chrysler. Yes. Um there's another one that we've talked about several times on our partner podcast and um I feel I have to mention it again. Um, why not when we're talking about Gia? Yeah. The Lincoln Futura concept. I knew that was okay. It's the, uh, the <laughs> 1955 Lincoln Futura concept and which is the car that eventually became the original Batmobile. Mm. Then that, that original design, I, of course I love the Batmobile. Right. It's the original Batmobile's to me gorgeous design. But the, the Futura concept car, the dream car that they came out with, that design is just so spectacular. It's amazing. Yeah, there's no mistaking it. And, and also, just to be completely honest, I think that is my favorite uh, of the designs. Now, the uh, Chrysler that um, sorry, the the Chrysler Gia that I was going to mention was the Norseman. Oh, another beautiful design. That's a that's a fantastic design. Uh, however, it never really made it to the show. No, circuit. no, it never made it to no. the shows. And we have a show all about that. Yeah, we do. <laughs> you can look up that one for sure. But we have an entire show about the Chrysler Norseman and what happened with that. And mm-hmm. I, I'll just leave it at that. Um, they also worked on the Volvo P eighteen hundred, which is very again very iconic design for uh, for the Volvo. Um, manufacturer, and uh, also the Chrysler Crown Imperial limousines were designed by Gia. Um, these are cars that were owned by Jackie Kennedy, Nelson Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. Um, really, just anybody who was anybody at that time had a uh, had a Chrysler Crown Imperial limousine. It was right. it was the car to have, I guess. Um, also, the uh, the De Tomaso Pantera. Um, they get kind of partial credit for that one with Ford, um, mm-hmm. but uh, that that's you know, that's the one that in, uh, infamously, I guess, Elvis. That's his shooting car. Yeah, the one he the one he shot when it wouldn't start, and then it started apparently. Yeah, he had the uh, he had the magic touch, the, the magic bullet, the magic bullet, <laughs> and um, <laughs> the other magic bullet. We we should also mention uh, at this point, just to put a capstone on on that story with Gia and Chrysler. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first, let's talk about Carmen. Oh, man, gosh. We we, uh, we almost didn't talk about Carmen. Well, I don't know how we could forget that one. There's uh, there's even more information out there about Carmen because this, this company's been around since, uh, what, 1901, I think, right? Well, yes, 1901 in its current incarnation. Uh, a fellow named Wilhelm Carmen purchased someone that had been building coaches since the 1870s. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, of course, when we're talking like that, when we say coaches, we mean horse coaches. Exactly. Carriages. Yeah. Um, oh, that plays a big role later, and, and watch for this later. I, I promise I'm going to mention it. Okay. Okay. I, there's, a, there's a direct tie-in with the, 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 the carriages. I promise you. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to it. So uh, they 
Let's see. They started back in, we already said 1901. Mm-hmm. And As a design production assembly company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they worked on, you know, coach building and, and manufacturing. And specifically, they had these, uh, these coaches that would have these, these tops that lowered and, and raised, these cloth tops. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess it would be leather at the time, probably. That was one of their, like, marquee features. Yeah, it was kind of the thing. It was like, uh, they, they had these, uh, these, these roof systems that were kind of unheard of at the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were, Specialty roof manufacturers, also as well as coach builders, and uh, the headquarters is in a in a town called. Uh, I'm going to mess this up, but Osnabrück. Oh, um, Germany. Mm. It's in Germany. Yeah, that that was one of my best shots. Uh, I think it's Osnabrück. Oh, uh, we'll just say it's the German headquarters. How about that? Let's go with the German headquarters. The German from this headquarters. Point um, but again, they've been around doing what they do for well over a hundred years mm-hmm. now. I'm, I'm going to guess 130, 140 years at this point. Uh, if you include, you know, the coach building stuff. Um, but man, since that, since that time, since 1901, um, Carmen has built more than three million complete vehicles out of this, out of this headquarters in Germany. And, uh, it's just, it's an amazing story, but it goes all the way back. I mean, they've, they've, a lot of notable cars have come out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to mention the notable ones here just briefly, but, um, you know, the, uh, the VW Beetle, uh, the Cabriolet, you mm-hmm. know, the, the Cabriolet is the fancy term, I guess, for, uh, convertible. Yes. And everybody can picture a VW convertible. Well, all the VW convertibles came out of the Carmen factory because, again, Remember the coach building thing that I mentioned mm-hmm. with the, with the tops that lowered up and down? Um, they had kind of this knack for designing these roof systems, and of course this went right. This translated directly into convertible automobiles. And ever since 1901, even through right now, through 2013, yeah, Carmen has been known for their roof systems, as we'll find out, because they're doing things like retractable hardtops mm-hmm. um, and and systems like that, and of course soft tops. But even to today, they're known for their retractable hardtops and, and roof systems. Right. They're still at it, uh, doing the Volkswagen Golf yep. recently uh, in 2011. Yeah. So, I mean, this this VW Beetle uh, convertible, I mean, that was a no-brainer for Volkswagen to go to them and say, you know, let's let's make a, uh, a really good folding ragtop for our car, and we want Carmen to do it. They want, we want them to build it. Um, so they also... They also produced the car that we're talking about today, of course, the, the Carmen Ghia, uh, from 1955 to 1974. So it's a 19-year run. Um, about 400, close to 500,000 cars came out of the German factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like where they, of course, they went to, remember they went to Ghia. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. They went to Ghia, and they, thank you for reminding me of this. They went to Ghia, uh, and they said, hey, we need a design for a, a flagship car, like the best car that Volkswagen will be selling in the future. Yeah, and then Gia said, well, we've got this one Chrysler design that we never used. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and what's the crazy thing, and I, I bet a lot of people don't really realize that, that that was originally intended. I'm sure that was modified because it was placed on top of a, uh, a VW Beetle chassis. So it's got yeah. a rear engine. Um, you know, rear wheel drive, it's, which is different than what Chrysler had at the, going on. And they on at the probably time. shortened. I'm sure that they did. Yeah, there's probably, I'm sure there's a lot of modifications that had mm. to happen, but they did use the, the basis of that Chrysler design to create what I'm going to say arguably is their most famous design to come out of the Carmen factory because it mm. bears the name. Uh, yeah. The, the Carmen which, Gia. Again, I think is unique, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, because, um, other cars don't, don't carry the name tag anyway. So, mm. but, but Volkswagen allowed them to call it the VW Carmen Ghia. In 1955, they came out, uh, but they were, they were marked as 56 models. Okay. 
But they came out in 55. So, so 56 model year vehicle. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, uh, man, I'm just going to skip ahead here because we'll get back to the Carmen Ghia, I promise. But, okay. um, they, they also assembled at this, at this factory, they assembled the, uh, the Scirocco, Ooh. uh, the Corrado, the Golf Cabriolet. I'm just trying to give you an idea of, of Carmen's presence, I guess, in the mm-hmm. automobile world because, again, I mentioned three million vehicles and, you know, only 500,000 of those are these Carmen Ghias. So there's another two and a half million cars that came out. That's a um, very good point. All over the place. So, um, of course, they made uh, the, uh, the the cars for the uh, the now defunct Mercure brand for Ford um, with the XR4 Ti that I think people remember and the Scorpio. If you if you're oh, a late, yeah. late 80s Mercure fan, um, I don't the think there's Scorpio. probably probably not many fans out there of that. Um, they assembled complete knockdown kits that we mentioned in the Iron Cars episode. Yes, remember um, rather Russia was making. Uh, these, these CKD kits or the complete knockdown kits mm-hmm. where cars would assume, would arrive in parts and then be assembled on and, site. And they would use that to reverse engineer. Oh, well, you know, we have a whole show about it. Well, yeah, they do that too. So, so let's say these, um, it was AMC, uh, with the Javelin car in 1968. Um, and these were all for European distribution, uh, which they called the Javelin 79K models. And, uh, there weren't many of those. I think only about 300 were assembled at the German factory. Um, they've done convertibles for Mercedes, mm-hmm. Renault, VW. Um, man, there's a lot of stuff here, Ben. Um, they've got another facility, another, um, besides the, the HQ and, uh, I'm going to have to say it again, Osnabrück. <laughs> and uh, they've got this, this Rhine facility, which is in Westphalia, Germany. It's the northern part of Germany, um, where they also built the, the Golf Cabriolet, um, the Audi A4, Mercedes-Benz CLK, and the Chrysler Crossfire recently. Uh, now the crossfire, all the crossfires came from Germany. What? So, yeah. I can't believe I didn't know that. Yeah, the crossfires are all German cars and, um, or assembled there anyways. I'm gonna write that down. You should. <laughs> you should. And, um, you know, of course that's, that's got a lot of tie in with the Mercedes ownership. Remember when it was Daimler Chrysler mm-hmm. and, uh, and that whole thing. So that, that's, the timing makes sense on that. Um, man, all the, you know, have you ever seen the, uh, the supercar, the Spiker C8? Yes. Uh, the, the chassis and the body panels for the Spiker C8 are created at the Carmen factory, um, at the, at the HQ, uh, Ooh. there in Germany. Um, man, they also have a, a Brazilian factory, their facility, where they built, uh, the Carmen Gears for a little while that we'll talk about, I promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built about 42,000 cars there. Um, gosh, it, it, there's Ooh. so much. There's real, real quick. There's, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just, just a note here. I don't know if, are we in modern times yet? Oh man. I, yeah, we kind of are. I'm, I'm okay. just, I'm just, there's so much to list about the, the Carmen factory and its accomplishments mm-hmm. that I, I'm just going through this long list. I know, but, um, there's so much about Carmen that I think people don't know. If you, yeah, really, isn't really it amazing? In. Because to, to most people, Carmen Ghia is, um, just an anomalous thing. Mm-hmm. But once you start looking at this organization, they make so much stuff. Yeah, I mean the the list of just the vehicles that they made, and some of these these lists include you know, one hundred thousand cars in a run, or five hundred thousand mm-hmm. cars in a run, or fifty or whatever. Um, they've created so many different products out of the Carmen factory that uh, I just think people have no idea other than the Carmen Ghia. Right, that, that these things even exist or that they came from there. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. 
We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, there's an iceberg under the water. Mm-hmm, definitely. <clears throat> one thing to, to uh, drill down into the Carmen Ghia, one thing that's interesting that we should probably talk about is, well, let me preface this question, Scott. All right, so we've got something, looks like a sporty car, right? It, yeah, definitely. It's small. It's sure. aerodynamic. It uh, looks like it has zip. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also has a Beetle engine. Mm-hmm. Which is not necessarily a sports car no, engine. No, but you know what? That's to me personally, that's not troubling, because there's a, there's a, a very good tie-in here that uh, that I don't think a lot of people are really putting together in their mind. There's a tie-in with Porsche. Okay, yeah, that's all right. That's exactly. I was leading the witness. Ah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, so the, you know that's a, that's a good question, Ben. I guess I mean. So why know, why would you buy it? it perfect, perfect, and I will answer that because uh, um, the Carmen Ghia is really. I'm telling you, like back when it was produced originally, and I know they're 
you know, aged at this point. So, you know, it, it kind of mm-hmm. varies, but it was a very solid car. And the reason is because it had an, and of course, it was, uh, you know, designed with German craftsmanship and mine engineering, as we'll mention, but, um, had this Italian body. Um, of course, you know, the, everybody now, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people talk about it, German engineering as being extremely solid, extremely, uh, they're a lot, and redundant in a lot of cases. It's reliable. Exactly. Very reliable. And redundant, I'm saying redundant in a good way, in mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, there's safeties involved and, you know, they, they, they overdo things. They tend to make them stouter than they even need to be, but, you know, it's a good thing. Um, all of these Carmen Ghias were hand-built cars. You've got to remember that, too. That's uh, they, a very were, good they were all hand-assembled cars. Um, now, the problem is they were also said to be built with 1930s technology. <laughs> now, again, that's not terrible because, you know, you're talking about a very, very solid, very proven technology with the Beetle chassis and engine, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the Italian body and then, you know, of course, wiring and all that is another, another issue, but, um, Remember, they can be a little finicky because of this 1930s technology. However, you got to also remember that you know they're built with uh, with kind of this older Porsche design philosophy, mm-hmm. and the design design philosophy at the time with Porsche and even now, um, well, maybe not so much now, but handling is valued over acceleration at this point. Yes, and if I can if I can add a little something to this, please as do. Well. Uh, I was reading this great article with the history of the Carmen Ghia, and there's a great passage in there about some of Volkswagen's advertising campaign. Okay, what was it? So they would do things um, <clears throat> where they would tell people to essentially focus on the style of the Ghia, the ah, Carmen okay. Ghia. Yeah, on the Italian body. Uh-huh, and say, yeah, and say, well, you know, how big of a deal is the engine? Sure, this isn't a Maserati or a Lamborghini. It's not as fast, but man, it's so much cheaper. Yeah, and does it look good when you park it, and right? doesn't it look good yeah. when you park you it? You look good in the driver's seat. I'll tell you that, my friend, right? That's probably what they are using to sell, a line they were using to uh, to sell these things off the lot, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's intended, intended to draw a lot of attention. Um, even today, I mean, we mentioned that, you know, these things still are, are head turners, really. They're very, very impressive, very, very beautiful body design. And they are, they originally sold for around three grand. Yeah, so they were not a terribly expensive vehicle um, because, you know, course because they had this uh, the the beetle underpinnings yeah and uh but but again you know this this porsche design design philosophy at the time where handling was valued over acceleration that's at the time you got to remember the models that they were making right like the the 356 and the uh the uh, the 914 i think was around at that time uh you know they kind of overlapped at a point and the 911 of course came up in there at some point later in the game um but you know, of course, acceleration is big now. Everybody wants a fast accelerating car, but at the time, handling was valued a little bit more than that, and that's kind of the uh, the values that they put into the uh, the Carmen Ghia as well. Yeah, and uh, this investment paid off this priority because in 1969, the Carmen Ghia was named one of the most beautifully designed products in the world. Mm. Uh, and I do uh, the the article I'm referring to for some of this uh, comes from a writer named Brandon Trainham. Mm. You know, uh, you and I like to credit people when we, of course, when we know uh, when we can trace that source that way. So this. Uh, this article is great, and it has a lot of neat history behind the Carmen Ghia, but there's more to the story. Yeah, there's quite a bit more. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a time where these things eventually 
go away. I mean, for a reason. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, it kind of reached the end of its life cycle. And, uh, and then it was picked up somewhere else with a, with a very little known model, uh, that was built in Brazil. And, uh, and I promise I want to get to that, but first I want to tell you about something else. Yeah, I'm all ears. Okay, so here's what we've got. Um, you know, we've been, uh, kind of, poking around on audible.com for these audiobooks, right? Oh yeah, man. Scott, right. you and me are moving into the future. All right. Well, I'm a bit excited about this one. This uh this selection because um it is a former um it's a former Netflix pick. Pick what? Did I say that right? It's a former Netflix pick also what? that that has kind of made its way over to Audible. And this is exciting because you can take this one along with you. That's cool. What, yeah. what is it? Uh, it is Horatio's Drive, the Audible version. And uh and I tell you, this is really cool. It's three hours and nine minutes, so I would say this is like the perfect length for a a mid range road trip. You know, maybe like a, maybe like a weekend or a day trip. Exactly, like a day, nice day trip. You know, there and back. And um, it's it's by Dayton Duncan and Ken Burns, of course. You know, Ken mm-hmm. Burns did the documentary that we talked about, but again, this is the audible version. It's about the 1903 trip of Dr. Horatio Nelson Jackson. Uh, he's trying to win again, Ben. Um, that challenge. The challenge <laughs> of fifty dollar bet. And um, this $50 bet led him to um, the idea that he could drive across the country in his Winton automobile uh, from San Francisco to New York City. Now, remember, no roads. We talked about no this. No highway like, system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we've we've got a, a, a quite a, a lengthy podcast on this, uh, you know, in our past. So definitely check it out. But um, again, this is at a time when there's only 150 miles of paved road in the United States. Complete. I mean, that's that's it anywhere mm-hmm. total. And uh, it took him about sixty three days in order to make this journey. And uh, you know, kind of shows this this pioneering spirit of of you know the the early American, I guess. You know, like they mm-hmm. just getting over and around any obstacle in this course. Um, and I love what what I love about this most is there's an unintended race that happens. And uh, you remember, this is just like a kind of almost by accident. Yes. Doesn't even know what's going on, but you know, suddenly. Midway through the journey, he's in a race, and uh, and that makes it even more dramatic. It just gets really, really tense, I guess, really, really tight at some times. But again, this is a time, and we said 1903. Mm-hmm. This is at a time, and I'll just use it, a descriptive term that they use in the in the uh, review of this, the publisher, I think. This is at a time when just the sight of a, of an actual car would cause people to go into what they called delirious excitement. Um, right. It was that new. Automobiles were that new. Roads just weren't around. They were. It was. They were referred to as horseless carriages. It was an amazing, amazing time in American history and automotive history, and it's well documented with uh, with these letters that he sent to his wife, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the trials and troubles that they went through. They picked up a dog named Bud, which is Bulldog. Yeah. That I think he wore doggles for a while. Uh-huh. Um, you know, on the road. Doggles are goggles for dogs. Yeah, yeah, dog- doggles. I, I, I say it like everybody knows what doggles are. And um, he also had a riding mechanic with him, and it was just mm-hmm. a. A really intense journey, and I tell you, you're not going to be let down by this one. This is something that is really, it's a, its just a fantastic story. You'll remember it for the rest of your life. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations 
questions that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, uh, and even if you don't listen to our episode on it, or you listen to our episode and you want more information, you say, hey guys, I want to check out this book. Well, you were in luck, my friends. You can go to audiblepodcast.com slash carstuff. I lost it there for a second. That's okay. You picked it up. And thanks. And uh, you can sign up. Uh, because we sent you, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice. Now, it doesn't have to be Horatio's Drive, um, but you're missing out if you don't listen to that story at some point. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned, I, I think what would be really cool is if somebody listened to our podcast about it, maybe watched the documentary about it, and then also... Uh, you know, picked up this this audio audiobook. Yeah, and then recreated the drive. Oh no! Well, I don't know if you know if you can do that. I mean, you can drive coast to coast, sure, but yeah. uh, but you'll never be able to recreate what he had to go through. No, it's it's it's, it's intense. <laughs> it's a heck of a story. Um, so let us know what you think about that. And uh, getting back to uh, amazing stories, we are back in the Carmen Gia now. Uh, when we left briefly, Scott, you had said that you wanted to talk a little bit about a left field car from Brazil. Yeah, now we there are th- there are actually three types of Carmenguias, and and this is probably going to be shocking to some people because um, 
certain regions were kind of isolated from other types of Carmangias. And there, there are three types. And a lot of times people will only think that there are two. Right. Um, you know, that, it's kind of well known that there are two, but the third one is, is kind of a surprise to most people. Now, from 1955 to 1974, in Germany, we talked about the type that they built, which was actually, they call it the Type 14. And that's got worldwide, worldwide recognition, I guess is the best way to say that. Um, that's the kind that, uh, basically remain the same throughout production. I mean, there were little variations here and there between model years, but not a whole lot of variation. And that's the kind that your dad had. Mm-hmm. That's the kind that uh, was distributed here in the United States. It's the kind that we've been mostly, mostly I've been thinking about that one throughout this whole podcast, really, yeah, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, there's another type that's called the European Carmangia. And uh, this one... This one's going to be a shock to some people. Not not as much as the next one, but <laughs> I think a lot of people won't even recognize this one. But it was built from 1961 to 1970 at the German factory again. And it looks, and this is strange, it looks a lot like a Chevy Corvair in, in appearance. It has the, yeah. the very, very similar lines to a Corvair. Um, it was never exported to, to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind that, they, they call, again, they call the European Carmen Ghia. And if you haven't seen one of those, look it up and tell me, if you don't immediately think of Chevy Corvair, it really does look like that. <laughs> um, now the last one. This is the surprise. This is one that was later in the production, and it's when they picked up that Brazilian factory, mm-hmm. um, and it was produced from 1972 to 1975. So pretty limited run, and I think they uh, they actually came out with a 1976 model year in 1975. So um, this model is called the TC. And it was made in Brazil for Brazil. It was the South American market car only. It was never exported. And uh, this is kind of a surprise to a lot of people because you just never get to see them outside of South America. Yeah, um, yeah. You can see pictures of them, but you are not likely to see one in Europe or the States. No, no. I don't think that it's, uh, it has been you know widely distributed anywhere. I'm sure that someone has imported, exported one somewhere Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the world at this point, uh, but it had what they called um, they were they were trying to look for something new in the de- in the design at that point, and that's why they passed it over again. It's late in production uh, again, all the way up to 1975. Um, they were looking for something that was innovative, athletic, and mm-hmm. they looked a lot um, a lot towards the Porsche design at the time, which was the 911 that they were building. And uh, there's a lot of 911 in this in this design. So the TC. The back end has kind of a, a pinched look like the 911 has, mm-hmm. um, or maybe even the 912 at the time. I'm not sure which was actually in production, but um, I've got notes here somewhere. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Porsche design in the back end of this thing, that's for sure. Yes, and I wanted to uh, plug some places where you can see the Carmen Ghia, because sometimes when we're doing research for a show, it... Uh, I, I can't remember the name of the syndrome, but there's there's a there's a phenomenon. Uh, I think it's Bader Meinhof, maybe, where you hear an interesting word or a snatch of a song, and then you feel like you hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and it happens with commercial jingles mm-hmm. or just words you don't usually hear. Yeah, it's like when you're paying attention for something, there it is all the time, right? In front yeah, of you. like the old joke about the number twenty three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a situation like this with Carmen Ghia because. Over over the weeks when we were talking about doing this episode, uh, my girlfriend had me start watching Good Times. Oh, really? Did I, did I tell you about this no, off the air? No, you did not. Okay, well, apparently I missed out because I've never watched You're Good Times. You're talking about the sitcom from the 1970s, Good Times, right? Yes. Okay. Wherein a Carmen Ghia 
is in the intro. Really? Yeah, and huh. I've, and I stopped it at first, and I went back and and checked it out. But you can see um, you can see a Carmen Ghia in uh, in the intro. It is uh, orange. You know what? So it I, sticks out. I'm going to have to say that I bet if you watched a lot of those sitcoms and and uh, documentaries, dra- dramas, I guess maybe yeah. from the 1970s, I bet I bet Carmen Ghias show up in the background a lot in these things, like on Chips maybe or something where um, you remember they're the California Highway Patrol, so they're yeah. out on the highways all the time. Mm-hmm. I bet you there's a ton of these things in the background all the time. I heard uh, I heard that they make an appearance in Get Smart. Oh. I haven't uh, I haven't seen it myself, but I did I did wonder if I'm going to have to look at the Good Times intro now and see where you're spotting a Carmen Ghia because I can't picture that in my head. I have and to we look. can it it's uh you have to look for it. It's brief and it's orange and it's orange. I will I will definitely look for that the moment we leave the studio. I'm pretty sure, man. And okay, now I hope yeah. we don't not derailing you too much here. No, no, this is good. I just they, wanted to mention that. You remember they mentioned uh, that that you know they're kind of looking for new design and that's why they went from the uh, the the standard. Gia design, the Type 14 and the, uh, what was the other one, the Type 34, I think? Yeah. Um, over to the uh, the TC. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for something new. Well, Volkswagen shifted gears at that point. They they stopped production on the, the regular Carmen gear, the one that I call the regular, the Type 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and they started producing the uh, the VW Scirocco. And that's produced from 74 to 82. That was the first gen. And then there's a second generation, which went from 81 to 92. And I only mention this, Ben, because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really liked it. I mean, it's it was to replace the old and aging Carmen Ghia design, um, the Scirocco design was, and it's built on the Golf and Rabbit platform and the Jetta, I think. Um, again, at the at the same German headquarters, you know, in Carmen, it was assembled by Carmen. Um, but I mention this because I thought the Scirocco was gone because here in the states we we don't see that anymore past the 1992 right. uh, model year, right? The yeah. second gen. Well, they're making a third generation Scirocco, which is being assembled in Portugal. And they've been making that since 2008, and they're currently making that. And, huh. you know, that's just one of those things that kind of has eluded me to this point. I knew, I think I read something about it a long time ago, but I didn't realize that, you know, for the last five years, this thing has been in production. We just, we don't see them here. Yeah. And that, and that's the reason. I know other places in the world will say, well, yeah, of course, I see those, you know, ten times a day on the road, you know, as I'm going to and from work. But, um, again, that's just something that, you know, is off our radar here. I have some news about Carmen. What what this is what I had mentioned earlier. Sure. Uh, so in 2009, Carmen ran into some trouble and they uh, filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, I did hear about this. Yeah. And um, Volkswagen made them an offer and they said, you know, well, we worked together for a while. Mm-hmm. We'll take over it. Um, so they the business split in a couple different ways. Uh, Carmen's North American operations went to a place called Wabasto Group, mm-hmm. a place called Valme Automotive. Uh, bought the roof component stuff, but uh, they're still producing cars. Oh, so cool. they're making. They made that Volkswagen Golf. Golf, rather, they started in 2011. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to end on a down note. That's just the newest, one of the newest developments. No, no, no. And as a matter of fact, I've got one more thing that I do want to include here. That uh, we'll talk about some car production and some surprising models that came out of the Carmen factory because I I talked about that early on, and there's some strange. Yeah, ones yeah. There, we've but, got to deliver. But I do want to say one thing about what you just mentioned. You said the the Valme Automotive Group. Yes. Um, that is the uh, the company that does the uh, the Fisker Karma. I think they assemble the Fisker Karma. Oh. Um, so that that's kind of a, a strange tie in there. The, the, the uh, they do like the roof component sections, I think, um, or they they took over Carmen's 
roof component sections, I think, for, um, mm-hmm. from Germany, and I think they had a uh, facility in Poland as well. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, spot on. It's yeah. very Poland. So, um, I mean, and that whole thing arose because there was like a, a of course, everybody knows there was a sharp decline in, in the uh, demand for automobiles at that yes. time. So, you know, it wasn't wasn't that, you know, Carmen did anything particularly awful. It was just, you know, the, the demand went down and, you know, a lot of businesses had trouble. At the so, mercy of the market. Exactly. Now let's uh, let's get back to one kind of one last thing, I guess that's uh, that's a little more on the positive side because these are just some strange things that stood out to me when I looked through Carmen's production numbers. Excellent. And uh, you got to remember, they built over three million cars. They assembled over three million cars at their factory. And uh, this is just the German factory, by the way, that I'm going to mention. Now, we talked about the AMC Javelin, and that was in 1968. And if you haven't ever seen a, an AMC Javelin, check it out. It was a pony car from the late 60s, obviously. Um, I had a moderate um, excitement about it here in the United States, I guess. It was it never really took off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were only 300 of these cars that were assembled for European dis- distribution. So I would guess those are kind of rare over there to find. You know, yeah. One of those... I think it was a 79K model is the one I mentioned. Um, oh, this is a good one. Uh, they also built the Ford Escort RS Cosworth, which was a Group A rally car uh, that, you know, it's one of those deals, Ben, where for racing they have to build X number of streetcars. Oh, yeah, and yeah. This was one. So the Ford Escort uh, RS Cosworth from 1992 to 1996, they built 8,082 of these cars, and uh, again, it's it's basically a, a rally car, race car for the street. Um, now, there's a toned down street version, obviously, and then there's the the rally car version. But mm-hmm. um, these are th- this is a pretty interesting car if you if you ever yeah. want to dig into that and take a look at it. Um, uh, here's some other notable ones: the Porsche 356. Um, now, production was from 48 to 65, 1948 to 65. Um, but I don't have any numbers on that one or the dates that it was produced there at the Carmen factory. But a lot of the Porsche 356s came from the Carmen factory, which is kind of cool. Uh, the Porsche 911s from 66 to 71. Um, 914s, which are, you know, still kind of hanging around as, uh, you know, collector favorite. A lot of people enjoy those now. And they're mm-hmm. talking, they're still talking about a new 914 design. But I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, Triumph, which I, I mean, it was out of left field. Uh, the Triumph TR6 was built uh, from 1969 to 1976 at the Carmen factory. That's weird. That is weird. And the overlaps on these are strange because, um, you know, you'll find that, like, you know, at the same time, there were, uh, I don't know, Re- Renault cars being built on the factory at the same factory or Mercedes or Porsches or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I can imagine that this place at, the, at a certain time would be pretty interesting to walk through and see all the different cars they're assembling or, or you know, building at that time. Yeah. Um, and just a couple of interesting Volkswagens. We mentioned the Scirocco, um, the Corrado, which I'm a big fan of, and, of course, the uh, the Carmen Ghias that we talked about. But this list, if you if you go through here, you can find a list like this of, of the, the production models, and all three million cars are listed here. Um, not individually, of course. You can, you can sort <laughs> through them by many, but, um, you know, as few as 300 or as many as 500,000 with the Carmen Ghia models that we talked mm-hmm. about. Um, so this Carmen factory is really something, uh, it's really something to be cherished, I guess. I mean, you know, look at it at a histor- from a historical point, standpoint and, and realize what kind of cars came out of there. And, and, and when you start looking at, you know, like the Chrysler Crossfire and some of the newer cars that are coming out of there as well, um, this place, this has uh i don't know how to say it. It, it 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 it's one of the biggest unknown deals in automotive i guess so yeah i mean i History. just you didn't know it you didn't know that the crossfire I didn't came know there the crossfire. And, i and really didn't honestly you know i worked for 
Daimler Chrysler at the time, I knew it came from in Germany, but I didn't know it came from the Carmen factory, so I didn't know either. Um, a lot of surprises on the list. Just take a look. And while you're checking that out, uh, Scott, I think we should do uh, a little bit of listener mail. Hey, why not? All right, so this comes from pretty close to us, my friend. Uh, Mike from Athens, Georgia, writes in, um, and I'm going to read some highlights of this letter. He says, Scott and Ben, just listen to your podcast about the Iron Curtain cars. Between new episodes, I've been working my way through your back catalog and just listened to the Audubon and Tanks episodes. It was all too much. I had to send you a note. Uh, so he starts talking about how he seems like he feels like he was born a gearhead. He was a mechanic by the time he was 18. I uh, worked in a race shop uh, growing up where he was uh, working with fabrication, welding, building tube frame doors. Um, what a cool job. I know, right? And so Mike uh, says, we had a few Yugos come through the shop, and the biggest thing I remember about them was that they had Fiat drivetrains. And he, at the time, bought his first car, a yellow 1972 Cutlass in near-mint condition. He said it was mostly stock, kind of a sleeper. It had a 450-horsepower, 350 engine uh, with high-compression 455 pistons. Right. And so he joins the Army, uh, and he's a crewman on M1 tanks. And then he got transferred to Germany. He took the Cutlass with him, Scott. He says, there was a nice stretch of unrestricted Autobahn between my base and Wilsick and Nuremberg, which was about an hour away. I never got the Cutlass up over 120 MPH because it was geared for low end, but the looks on people's faces was priceless when it got passed by, when they got passed by the big yellow American boat. Oh, Ben, you know what? Yeah. Sorry, Jim. No, go ahead. Pick go up ahead. right there in a moment, but yeah. there is still a huge market for those old American cars in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, people go crazy for those things, the big muscle cars. So yeah. I can imagine how, how cool that was at the time. And he says people in Porsches were the most incredulous. <laughs> and uh, so um, he he talks about uh, the last six months of his tour when they were doing border patrols in Macedonia um, on the border with Kosovo and Serbia. Um, and there was a Zastava factory. And he thinks they only made components, right? Mm-hmm. And he said the most common car you saw was the domestic version of the Yugo. You really have seen something when you see a Yugo slammed to the ground with 16-inch five-spoke rims and a big wing hanging off the back. Um, and he said there were rarely any cars in the countryside. And the most common form of transportation you saw in the villages was a horse pulling a flatbed trailer on car wheels um, or this weird thing that looked like a root tiller with an engine, two wheels, and a long set of handlebars that reached back to the driver who sat on the trailer similar to what the horses would pull. Um, and then the last part of this letter that I want to mention, he said there was one part of Comernovo uh, that had paved but heavily potholed roads. Uh, and behind a storefront window, there were three Ferraris just sitting there. No kidding. Rumor has it that they belonged to the mafia. There was probably just GI talk. Wow. And so he signs off with thanks for the trip down memory lane. I wish I had never sold the Cutlass while I was in Germany. What an interesting letter. That's got so that, there's so much there. I yeah, mean, that's that's incredible. I mean the three Marbone Ferraris and the, yeah, that, that's a strange vehicle you're talking about that that root tiller. Uh, yeah, with the Princess Inn and trailer. Yeah, um, strange. I'm gonna look up a picture of that and send it uh, your way. Well, I just wanted to say thank you, Mike, for writing us such a great letter. Definitely, definitely, and uh, I can see what you mean about uh, feeling like you're a gearhead. There's probably good reason for that with all these. Uh, <laughs> you're paying attention to everything around you. That's why. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I see your regret about selling the Cutlass, but. Big American cars are pretty hot in Germany. I mean, true. It'd be 
it'd be hard not to sell it. And you got to move on. Maybe you can find one. Uh, you know, check out some of the uh, the sites. The the uh, you know I don't know Craigslist, eBay, Hemmings, whatever. Maybe you can pick up another one as a toy. There's always time for a project car, right? <laughs> no, not always. <laughs> not always. <laughs> uh, so we are going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed the story of the Carmen Gia. Thank you again, Isaac, for writing to us. Uh, Scott and I are going to. Light out for the territories here. Yeah, I have to watch the uh, the opening for Good Times now. Yes, it's part of your job now. <laughs> yeah, i got to spot that orange Carmen Gia. And uh, while we're uh, scouring the Internet for the intro to Good Times, uh, feel free to drop us a line on Facebook, give us a suggestion for an upcoming episode on Twitter, or send us an email directly. Uh, any kind of feedback is welcome. I mean, do keep it family appropriate. We uh, don't curse on the show. No, definitely not. We try not to. We try not to. We try not to. Our producer, Noel, will fix it if we slip. Yeah, he's good at that. Oh, but what is our email address? Email address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.